Hello and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune in to this week's episode of the show. Here on Let's Go Green, each week we talk about environmental matters without lecturing you in the hopes of informing you to help you make some small but lasting impacts in terms of mitigating against climate change. This week, we're going to be talking to a Midlands company aiming to do just that. We'll be joined by one of the co-founders of Biasol a little bit later on. But first things first, we are joined now by climatologist and emeritus professor at Maynooth University, Professor John Sweeney. John, you are very welcome to the programme. Hi, Ashling. Now, John, I know you have been very busy man over the airwaves over the past couple of days and weeks talking about the heat wave that is hitting continental Europe and these unusually wet conditions that we're having here in Ireland this, this month in particular. I know you have been working in this area for years, John, and it does feel a little bit like we in the media are suddenly paying attention to climate change as a result of actually feeling the change ourselves. It it, it must be um, uh, annoying for you because perhaps we could have done something to prevent this if we'd listened to yourself and your colleagues years ago. Yes, I think uh, it's understandable that the way media operates, that there is uh, an issue attention cycle where, Mm -hmm. yes, we sit up and take notice of things for a few days and then uh, the the agenda moves on. Uh, And with uh, an area like climate change, of course, there's a tendency in, in people's minds to think, well, it's it's a problem for the future. I've got to worry about paying the mortgage or the rent or getting food on the table this week. So I'll think about it next week. And uh, that's very much, uh, I suppose, a natural reaction in people's psyche. And of course, that is reflected then in, in terms of media coverage, where the short term, the immediate crises are looked at. And there is certainly a, a sort of unwillingness to say, well, uh, what's going to happen in five years, 10 years, 20 years to, to my kids? Uh, is it something I should worry about now or should I be more concerned with the immediate pressures? So it's compounded, I think, as well uh, by the electoral cycle in Ireland, mm. where again, you know, we have a short term view of, of sorting out problems, um, but worrying more about uh, the next election getting re-elected in terms of our politicians. Uh, and it's the short term problems that, big the, that bring the biggest benefits in votes rather than the kind of long term leadership issues, which and are so important here. And that, that John, you you hit the nail on the head there. That, that's a very valid point. But also we as citizens, we as the voters, we're part of that. That's not just on the, the politicians' shoulders. We are, we do that. When, when they come to the doorstep over the past number of years, they, politicians will tell us that if frequently climate change is not something that's brought up, even though we, we really probably should have been bringing it up at the doorstep. Indeed, indeed they will. And, um, you know, if somebody comes knocking on your door, you're more likely to be worried about something that's happening in your local neighbourhood mm-hmm. or, or some change that you don't want to see. But that's where, you know, I think we really require leadership from above uh, to, to try and look beyond those local issues, those short-term issues. Uh, and I think that's maybe what we've been lacking. I mean, politicians will come along 
frequently and say, well, Brussels made me do this. Uh, and that's their excuse in, in some respects. And mm-hmm. I think that's unfortunate because I think we should be doing things that are right rather than things that we're obliged to do as part of international agreements. But I think also, you know, I, 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 I'm not in favour of naming and blaming and shaming people at, a, at an individual level. Many people are quite good uh, and they do what they can uh, and they, they, they exploit opportunities to to think sustainably and act sustainably as much as possible. What we have to do is create the preconditions and the encouragement uh, at a higher level to enable those good actions at individual level uh, to realize, to be realized in terms of, of emission reductions and so on. And that's where we've been failing. We've been looking very much at the short term uh, sort of political dividends that can be gained rather than at the individual's who can be fostered and encouraged to do the right thing, which is inherent, I think, in many people as well. So, John, over the past number of weeks, even recent days, NASA has come out with a, with a, a potential warning as well for the month of July in terms of temperatures. But we've heard day in, day out that a particular part of southern Europe has hit record temperatures. And... It's quite worrying. It's quite frightening when you see um, popular resorts or, or tourist destinations having to close because the temperatures are so high that it's not safe for someone to, for instance, visit the Acropolis in Greece, somewhere, a place where many of us would aspire to go to at some point in our lives. What, in a nutshell, um, is causing the, the current situation in Europe? Yes, you're quite right. I mean, we, we've been seeing not just a heat wave, but we, we've been seeing a sequence of heat waves. And I think uh, in coming days, we'll see the fourth in a row coming across southern Europe. Um, I know that uh, even as we speak, the temperature in Malaga uh, is around 44 degrees, uh, which is a very popular destination yeah. for many Irish people who will be going on holiday in the next few days, the next few weeks. Now, what's been happening is that we've seen a dislocation in the atmospheric circulation high up in the atmosphere, what we call the jet streams. And these are fast-flowing ribbons of air which kind of act like curtain rails uh, to t- determining what happens away down at the surface, where depressions will form, where anticyclones will form. And uh, we've seen them not just whistling around the globe like they usually do, bringing us sequences of depressions and ridges in Western Europe and Ireland in particular, but they've become locked in position and they've become locked in big waves which have created almost stationary weather patterns over many parts of the world. Um, We've seen uh, in our very brief summer in June Mm -hmm. in Ireland, we saw what happened when uh, the wave was locked north of us and gave us anticyclonic conditions and that lovely long heat wave we had in June. But a strange thing happened then in uh, the end of June when uh, in North America there was a heat wave, if you remember, in Texas and the southeast. And this pushed a lot of air, warm air, into the Arctic, which 
sharpened up the jet streams there and dislocated them a bit so that they then started pushing south over Europe uh, and really landed right over Ireland. And this means that we've been getting the polar side of that jet stream for the past few weeks, bringing us those dreadful, dreary um, depressions and rain almost on a constant basis. Uh, Whereas south of that uh, axis, south of the jet stream, the anticyclones have been almost stationary over southern Europe, bringing in North African air, bringing in really hot air that that has been descending. Uh, But what I think is really uh, unusual about this event is that those uh, stationary systems um, have become locked not just in Europe, but they've been locked also in Asia, where we've had uh, in Korea horrendous floods north of that jet stream axis uh, with with a lot of deaths, if you remember last Mm. week. Uh, And then south of it, a heat wave in Japan, south of it, a heat wave of over 50 degrees in China, and then this continuing uh, horrendous heat wave in the southern states of North America. And this is uh, really symptomatic of a, a kind of locked position for the jet streams around the globe, giving us these semi, semi-stationary anticyclones, which means that the air is falling and it's often falling and compressing and warming further as it falls, but it's hitting dry ground, uh, especially over Europe, where we had a heat wave in April and May, very early on in Spain and Portugal, and the ground therefore is very dry and desiccated already, so there's no moisture to uh, evaporate and alleviate the temperature close to the surface. So we've been getting, if you like, a, a kind of dislocation of the upper air circulation, and there's a lot of speculation now as to what might be causing this to happen more frequently, because those kinds of simultaneous heat waves, um, they're now six or seven times more frequent than they were uh, in the 1980s. So we're getting this simultaneous problem around the world in key areas becoming much more common and much more frequent. And that's giving some concern, I think, especially down the road in terms of food production. The causes, well, I mean, if you can speculate about why the jet stream may have become more unstable, why it's meandering more than it used to. Uh, and there's a lot of suggestions from research that this might be due to the, uh, the loss of the ice in the Arctic, the summer sea ice, where we have a lot of water now, fresh water, flowing into the Atlantic and capping uh, the, the Gulf Stream a bit, but also deflecting the jet stream uh, in ways which it might not have before. But th- these are these are frontier areas for research okay. as, as of now. John, you mentioned food security there. And like in Ireland, we're blessed really in that food security is not something we have had to worry about like in third world parts of the country. We, it, it, like climate change for us, it has been a far off problem for, for um, and something that happens in, in distant countries. But now in the last um, 18 months with the war in Ukraine, we're becoming more familiar with even food security as a term. People are now discussing it in coffee shops and at water coolers. And now um, we've got the war in Ukraine which has, um, or the invasion of Ukraine, I should say, to get things correct, um, that has caused food security concerns. Now, this heat wave um, in, in across Europe and the, these extreme weather conditions, that's naturally going to have an impact on food security. So, like, 
Can you explain how concerning this is for, for us here in Europe, particularly when we're so reliant on, on countries like Ukraine for grain? Well, I think firstly, the, the uh, appropriation of the term food security in Ireland has been very misguided. I don't think we're very food secure in Ireland. Uh, we import an awful lot of the food we eat. Uh, we export only really meat and dairy produce. Um, and we've, we've been moving towards almost monoculture mm. of, uh, of dairy production in the past few years. And, and we know in Ireland uh, how dangerous that can be uh, if you become dependent on one food food source uh, for your income or for for your sustenance but at a wider scale of course we are dependent on importing a lot of the food for for cattle that we need a lot of the food that we need in everyday um, production for bread and for, uh, for for general food production and we're dependent therefore on uh, what's happening elsewhere in the world and the, the, the issue with uh, civil Simultaneous heat waves occurring uh, in those key areas I mentioned: the the corn belt of North America, uh, the grain-producing areas of Southern Europe, the grain-producing areas of of, uh, of China and Japan. Those areas, uh, when the going gets tough, you can be quite sure we'll say we we'll look after our own population first. We will cut back exports, and we saw this during previous uh, food crises in the world where drought. Um, led to abandonment of exports uh, of, of key products. Now, uh, the concern would, might well be that um, as we're seeing these heat waves going through uh, Europe, uh, we may face multiple crop failures, uh, not just in Europe, but elsewhere. We know yeah. that even in Ireland, our cereal crop is going to be adversely affected by the, um, the, the weather of the past few weeks. So there would be concern, I think, down the road, especially now exacerbated by the failure of the grain deal to be renewed between Ukraine and Russia and therefore the possibility that grain exports from the Ukraine will be um, severely curtailed because those are areas that go, those are areas that provide food essentially for the marginal areas of of sub-Saharan Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, but also so many other developing countries in the world are highly dependent on imported grain from these areas. They're countries like Egypt, very populous countries. And, you know, there would be some concern that therefore the prices which are already going up will go up to a level which makes it prohibitive for some of the poorest countries in the world to feed their population. Um, and, and that's where the crunch uh, I'd be more worried about coming. Um, it's interesting that one of the earliest grain ships under this agreement that came out of the Ukraine uh, was not bringing grain to the developing world. Uh, It was bringing grain to Ireland to Mm -hmm. feed cattle. Mm. Uh, And this is where you will find the the rich countries, the wealthy countries using their muscle to keep their own uh, economies going, but the poorer countries of the world unable to sustain themselves because they simply won't be able to afford those staple crop um, foodstuffs that they need. So with climate and with politics, there's always an interaction. And this interaction here, uh, I'd be I'd be a little concerned that we may be facing problems down the road as population grows, as food supply 
maybe becomes more marginal uh, and as demand of course is increasing all the time um, the, the pinch point um, would, would be of concern. John, much of the conversation in Ireland and in particular in Irish media, let's be honest about it, around the climate and farming has been at encouraging farmers to diversify their farming practices. So to encourage more um, biodiversity um, on their farms. But should we be looking at um, encouraging farmers to diversify the actual mode of farming, like to maybe cut back on dairy and be, be growing cereal crops? Should we be looking for farmers to completely change what they're doing with food security in mind? With food security in mind, certainly, but also with compliance with our international obligations. Um, We know that uh, agriculture in Ireland contributes about 38% of our total greenhouse gas emissions. uh, And therefore, we can't really meet the uh, targets we've set for our two carbon budgets uh, in 21 to 25 and 26 to 30 without really making a dent in agricultural emissions. Uh, you'll find a lot of the, the debate talks about 2030 an awful lot. Mm. But in fact, our first carbon budget uh, is 21 to 25. And the agricultural car- sectoral limit for that carbon budget is 10% reduction. It's one of the lowest uh, and most uh, generous sectoral limits that, that, that the minister has actually uh, um, agreed for. Um, so it's even that will be quite difficult to maintain if we continue to increase the dairy herd, um, if we continue to increase milk production. And as we become more intensive, um, each cow uh, produces more methane than its predecessor because the inputs become more in, more considerable. Therefore, the outputs in methane become more considerable as well. So intensification, even with a stable herd, uh, produces more methane. Uh, and therefore, you know, the possibility of, of, of going further in terms of increases are, are something that is not compatible at all with the obligations we have legally mm. under the Climate Act of 2021, but also in terms of our obligations under the European Green Deal, um, which are going to become perhaps more obvious in the years ahead um, because they are gradually tightening the noose around emissions in member states in a way that they didn't before. So I think agriculture has to look at diversification. I think agriculture has to look at uh, a reduction in herd numbers. Uh, I don't think it's compatible, really. Um, and, and it's not in the long-term interests of, uh, of dairy farmers in particular to become so dependent on uh, a milk price, which is liable to become much more um, volatile in the years ahead. Uh, it's a basic law of supply and demand that if you start producing more, the price is liable to go down. Um, So I'd be a bit concerned that many farmers who have gone into dairying, um, and they've been making really good money from dairying for the past few years. The average dairy farm income last year uh, was €148,000, which is three times the average, uh, if you like, industrial wage for for the average urban worker. Uh, That's very considerable. And I know that people will say that there are high um, debt costs Mm -hmm. associated with dairying as well. But then the average debt cost is still an awful lot less than the average mortgage 
being paid by by an urban dweller. So uh, I think we do have to to recognise that just transition uh, means that um, the smaller farmers, those farmers who um, are are the family farm, not not the ones portrayed as the family farm by some uh, large farm organisations, but the smaller farmers do need support. They need to be encouraged to diversify. They are often the best managers of biodiversity in mm. the Irish landscape. They are the best stewards of the Irish landscape and I think, you know, they're often um, left out in the cold in these big big uh, negotiations under CAP and so on in a way that I think is, is, is not benefiting them uh, and, and I think the, the important thing for the future is that we look at ways of supporting small farmers um, who are uh, as I say, stewards of the landscape and discouraging some of the extremely large I mean I, I've heard of dairy farms of a thousand cows and John uh, I think it's not the, the origin green <laughs> that's mm. not the origin green image that is portrayed abroad no it's not but John I think I think you're right there in that I think I'm, I'm proud to be an, a Midlands uh, a woman but I know an awful lot of people here in the Midlands do feel very much left out of these conversations because they're had with much larger organisations and, and they would feel quite ignored in these conversations but John and I hope to rectify that through let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 um, each and every week. But Professor John Sweeney, climatologist and emeritus professor at Maynooth University. As always, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, chatting with you, John. You're welcome. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And, well, the last part of the show, we start, we finished the conversation in around uh, food security. Now we're going to talk a little bit about food production. And we're joined by Neve Dooley, who is one of the co-founders of Be A Sol. Neve, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Now, Neve, for people who haven't heard of Be A Sol, what exactly is it? Yeah, so BSL um, was founded by myself and my brother back in 2020 now. And basically it was a lockdown project um, during the pandemic to keep us connected together. Rory was living in Australia and I was back home and I had recently lost my job at the time. And he just reached out and said, would you like to work on a, a project? So with my background in food science, he said, you know, let's do, let's, let's, that's based around food. So I came back and said, let's um, create a nutritious product and also how can we do it in the most sustainable way? So that they were the two kind of key pillars that um, we set out to tackle. So this was like, look, there's boredom, you know, is good for us, you know, okay? It encourages us to use our imagination and be creative yeah. and all of that. But like during lockdown, it, it was tough going. So yeah. this was really a way of, you know, brother and sister to just have something to work on together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was mainly about, yeah, just getting us to communicate again. Like I had lived in Canada for a few years and he had gone to Australia. So, you know, there wasn't... I know brothers and sisters it made us closer like you know because we had a common interest then so it was good so yeah. how then did and I don't want I want you to tell your yeah. story so I'm not going to give it away yeah. but how did you settle on what had what has now become BSL yeah it took it took a while but I suppose we really wanted to I suppose you mentioned food, food security and like by 2050 we our population is going to reach 9.8 billion and that will mean we'll have to produce 60% more food. 
So like just thinking of um, what lies ahead and and on top of that, you see what's going on with the climate. You know, our, our food is, it's it doesn't look very bright mm-hmm. when you look further down the field. So um, no pun intended there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's kind of like, you know, as you get older and maybe you're going to have kids, you know, you have to kind of start thinking that way. So that was really kind of one of the driving forces as well to why like every decision we kind of make in the company is based around sustainability. But yeah, going back to your point, yeah, we did a lot of kind of desk research to begin with. Um, we did look at really look into growing uh, crickets for cricket. Uh, Protein powder? No. Yeah. No. You see, I yeah. will try a lot of yeah. things. I've even tried emu when I lived in Australia um, yeah. and I didn't enjoy it at all. No. Um, but I did try it. I yeah. will, you know, um, as, as I, growing up, it was I was always told when in Rome, you know, mm. crickets though, really? Yeah. So we, we did, we, we spent a couple of weeks like really, really looking into it. Like if you were to ask maybe like a scientist to describe the perfect protein source and like they literally design insects you know they don't take they take up a fraction of like the water that's needed the land mass that's needed to grow a protein source and they've like all the amino acids that you need so anyways without getting too um into it we we did a bit more research and then yeah we kind of said would irish people eat insects and the bottom line was no not now anyways, but yeah. I think like it, there was a few laws as well around it, um, but they've been lifted. So there's a lot happening in Europe and there's a lot there's a lot happening there. And like to other like on other continents, they eat it like we chickens or cows. Do you know what I mean? So it's just there's a it's a yuck factor that we'd have to get our heads around. But um, I'd say, you know, in our lifetime, we might we might say, you know. well, look, I suppose, you know, meal replacement shakes yeah. are mm. protein powders mm. you, like gym bunnies love their protein powders. Mm. So I suppose if it's powdered and there is not yeah. a picture of a cricket on the front of it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, that would be a marketing challenge. I, I know, would and it wasn't. We didn't have marketing <laughs> in our background, so we we uh, had to put a time frame on it, and we uh, we boxed that one off and said maybe and maybe another day. So then, yeah, we kind of we kind of started then at square one again, and we realised that there was a lot of craft breweries in Ireland and mm-hmm. that had exploded over the last ten years, and we became aware of. Uh, upcycling it's um, well you've probably heard of upcycling before maybe furniture or, or phones or uh, things like that but we we've seen um, the Upcycle Food Association in the okay, US so okay. it's definitely um, happening over there there's a lot of companies looking at different food waste or byproducts and turning them back into so you like and as you say like, and I think it's been and, and I stand to be corrected on this but I think really since the last recession mm. and people didn't have the money to go out for a pint uh, people started experimenting and mm. now we have all of these like really diverse um, alcohol companies that mm. are look at craft companies that mm. are indigenous to their particular area mm. and that's fantastic but obviously that industry will have waste yeah. as part of it. Yeah, 100%. And their biggest uh, byproduct or waste um, is the brewer spent grain. So to make beer, you need barley, water, hops, yeast. Um, I think that's everything. <laughs> um, so yeah, the mainly malted barley, that would be the main ingredient. But yeah, they're, 
they produce a lot of, of spent grain. So I suppose from a supply point of view and where we started off, we knew that wouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I suppose you kind of, you'd be drinking your beer and you don't really know what's what what it takes to produce that and, and what waste streams come off that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I suppose we ter- we're turning someone's byproduct or waste back into nutritious products. What would have happened previously with the spent grain before BSL? Yeah, so a lot of um a lot of brewers have maybe a local farmer and they rely on them to come and take it and they feed their animals, which is great. Um in the odd the odd time um if the grain spoils, it might have to go to landfill. Um so you don't want that at all because uh if food kind of rots or whatever, it, um, it it produces methane. Mm-hmm. That's more potent than CO2. So you really don't want that. Um, but yeah, they usually have strong relationships with farmers, which is great. But we think um, we should really b- bring it back into the human food chain and bring it to a higher value. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And we're t- speaking with Neve Dooley of BSL. So before the break, Neve, you talked us through the research that yourself and your brother Rory went through. Um, what ter- like was initially just let's do something to keep us talking to each other and in communication during lockdown. Now, all of a sudden you have this company idea to do something with spent grain. What happened next? I suppose uh, I suppose we took a lot of babysit steps to begin with. Um, I actually, we had to, we had to actually get our hands on grain and, and test and test it. Could we actually turn it into something? Um, because in, at the start it was all desk research and like yes there's a lot of fibre there's a lot of protein in the grain that's great um, yes there's supply breweries I rang about 30 different breweries at the time over the phone and told them the idea and they were kind of like who is this lunatic ringing me <laughs> asking for my grain but they did respond very positively and said if if that goes ahead like come talk to us because like we'd love to see that happen so um, we knew we knew they were on board which was great so, so they didn't just put the phone down straight away mm-hmm. they they did they, they gave you the time they gave you yeah, what you needed yeah definitely it's, it's a really nice industry actually um, everyone's very helpful they even help each other um, you know there'd be competitors but if someone was missing kegs or needed a canning line or something they do all work together which is really nice Um and yeah, it's a nice industry to get the, the grain from. Sometimes I get free craft beer, so that's always a plus. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, yeah, no one ever turns a gift down, like, no. you know. Um, so, like, you get you know, your samples, mm-hmm. and then how do you come up with the product ideas? Yeah. So, I suppose we started out by getting grain from, I think it was Bally Kilcav in, in Straw Valley County Leash. He was the David Walsh a chemist. Um, the owner said, "Come down whenever you want a little bit of grain and just take it, take it away and see what you can do." So that's exactly what I did, and I dried it out in my mum's kitchen at home. So she wasn't too happy when she seen the electricity <laughs> bill, and uh, the house smelted smelt like malted barley. But um, we did get good results, and then we just started making little samples and. Samples of samples of basically the dried grain. We were we were, I suppose we kind of had a fine powder ingredient nearly, but myself and my brother don't actually come from a culinary background, so 
we had to give samples out to different chefs and bakers and say, hey, what do you think of this? Like we were doing our own bit of baking with it and stuff. But uh, yeah, I suppose taste was a massive thing. Like they really, really liked the taste and the flavour. And then when you told them the story, like, you know, they 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 were really they were really on board. So, yeah, I suppose we, we got a lot of kind of information from how they were using it and kind of our own little trials at home. Like, you know, this was a new ingredient that no one was using before. Yeah. Like, uh, so there was a lot of there was a lot of work involved. So in a way, it's it's not flour, but it's something that can be used in a similar way. Yeah, that's right. It's it's definitely not a re- full replacement for flour. We don't we don't call it flour. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of an inclusion, uh, an ingredient that has really high in fibre. Um, it's over 40 grams per 100. So that's sitting up there with like your chia seeds or psyllium husks. Um, so, yeah, you you can add it into baking. We kind of recommend uh, if you were to. So we've we've a set of products. <laughs> so we've three different uh, products. They're more like functional foods. So they're the grains themselves. So there's super mill grains, morning glory grains and whole fiber grains. So you can add them into like your own bacon. You could add about 10% in, 15% of the ingredient and you get high fibre. You could have a high fibre bread, high fibre scones. So it's just a really easy way of kind of boosting your fibre intake. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still really, they're still high in protein as well. And there's B vitamins in there, minerals as well. So I like to think it's a little superfood and it, it's going to get a lot more attention. Um, so... Yeah, very proud of the products that we have. And we've made it even easier. We've added the grains into a range of baking mixes. So we've protein pancakes, soda bread, scones and cookies. And the protein pancakes are great. But our soda bread um, was final in Blossom Heron last year. So Fantastic. Like getting the kind of recognition from the food industry on taste and flavour. Like it was a really, it was a really nice one. And... We won best in county last year for Offaly, so we're flying that flag as well. That is fantastic. And it's great to see you guys getting recognised nationally. And like, I'm just wondering now, because I was in what you might call a, a very bougie uh, cafe yesterday. And while I was waiting for my oat milk flat white, I was looking at the fridge and they had like, you know, chia seed puddings. And like, could we see Biasol puddings in these bougie eateries in the years to come, do you think? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of I suppose the other side of our business you'd you'd know us like from BSL and our retail customer facing business, but I suppose we're definitely more of an impact company and that's what we see for our future. And what that means is we're gonna grow our wholesale, like the B two B business. So okay. we don't wanna save all the grains just for ourselves. We want to really kinda make the most impact and how we do that is to upcycle or save as much grain as possible and then sell it back into other businesses or food manufacturers so that's that's the journey we're really on um and we started with myself and my brother and now we have a team of eight so like we're setting ourselves up to um really be an impact company and get ingredients into as many homes and plates and products as possible um, so yeah, there's a lot of trials going on in the background, uh, and you will definitely, possibly see like overnight oats with like our grains in them and things like that. So yeah, it's definitely 
it's definitely headed that way so it's exciting Can I ask just for people listening um, <clears throat> excuse me frog in my throat um, is it gluten free or celiac friendly how does that work with your particular products Yeah so our the brewer's grain um, is <laughs> it's so low in gluten like it's like in, in the FSAI you have to be 100 milligrams per kg like under that to be very low in gluten and we're sitting at like 20-30 milligrams so okay. It is very low in gluten, but it's not gluten-free. So if you're maybe um, intolerant, you'll be able for our grains, celiac, maybe not. Not really, you wouldn't be. And look, and there is, because I'm intolerant myself, Mm. but it surprises me what I can actually eat. So Mm. that's a very individual thing and there can be severities of stomach-related issues, let's put it that way. Okay, Our protein pancakes out of the mixes will be very low in gluten because they're oat based mm-hmm. and then they have our grains in them but unfortunately the bread scones and cookies would have wheat flour in there so wouldn't tell anyone to go get them if you're celiac okay okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. but look and yeah. every anyone who is celiac knows to exactly. read the labels yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you ever spot somebody staring at the back of a label in a supermarket um, they're, they're probably someone like me they're either a type 1 diabetic looking at the carbohydrate content or uh, celiac and if you're me you're lucky you're both oh, um, oh, no. but yeah no just ha- it had to yeah. ask the question yeah, exactly. because plenty yeah. of people it's it's yeah. like particularly it's in Ireland common, yeah. it's so like being celiac yeah. is it we're more co- more likely to be celiac in Ireland than, than mm-hmm. anywhere else in the world mm-hmm. which is um, fascinating in and yeah. of itself so like you, you use the phrase there like an impact company so, mm-hmm. so what does that mean? Yeah I suppose impact uh, company basically you're just not all for profit like you're not just setting out to we're definitely not going to become millionaires but you're not setting out just to make profit. Like we want to make an impact. So basically, yeah, we want to drive change in the food industry and um, we want to bring about change. And I suppose to do that, you need to come in with a bit of impact and make mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, it's I suppose it's not just being all about profit. It's having a real, we're purpose driven. We want to make impact. Um, and yeah, we've started with Brewers Bank Green, but we definitely don't want to stop there. So okay. don't be surprised if we do have a gluten-free um, product in the future. We are going to look at different sources of uh, byproducts and also um, maybe like your grade two fruit and veg. Um, like there, there's a whole load of waste in that doesn't make it even to to retail. Um, oh yeah, because the carrot isn't perfectly yeah. straight and a shiny orange in colour, but will still taste perfectly oh fine. My God, but, yeah, yeah, it's a sin. It's a sin, and I don't think many people even know that fact. Like that, like oh yeah, it, it nearly boils your blood when you kind of see what really is going on behind it all. But yeah, like forty percent of the food from manufacturing like doesn't reach anybody's plate. So forty percent. Forty percent. Yeah. 40%. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I was actually um, a part of the signing of the Food Waste Charter up in uh, Dublin there with the the Department of Ag and the EPA. Um, so yeah, Ireland is signing a pledge to reduce food waste by 50% by 2030. And that's in line with the UN Sustainability Goal Development Goals. So um, I'm inviting any other food businesses out there, food manufacturers, to uh, join that pledge as well. And if they have a lot of waste or food waste or surplus food, um, definitely reach out because that's where we see the business going, even like helping other businesses with tackling that target as well. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, it's really good to see a pledge being signed, but we also have to do our part and take action. So what is now BSL Mm. was driven initially out of, well, you live in Canada, I live in Oz. Mm. Like, we don't really get to talk all that much. And now (laughs) we're all locked down and we're a bit bored. Um, How have you found the whole process working with your brother and starting (laughs) a company with your brother? How do you manage that? Um, yeah, you definitely have to manage it. <laughs> I'd say, uh, yeah, we get we get asked that a lot, but um, I think the best thing about it for ourselves is we definitely have different skill sets, um, which is definitely a blessing. Mm-hmm. So we do try to stay in our own lane. Uh, we trust each other, um, but yeah, there's definitely moments when you clash over something. But um, no, like it, it has been great. Um, Is do, Rory back in the Midlands? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose to going from maybe doing trials and to taking the leap into to actually the business side of things, um, we were successful with Enterprise Ireland and um, their competitive start fund. So you have to kind of apply and pitch and we ended up getting 50,000 euro for 10% of the business. So that was like the initial, like, let's let's get this off the ground. Like we, we've bootstrapped it up until now as well. So he was in Australia, I think in Bondi at the time. And he was like, right, they're taking this seriously. We need to take this seriously. I need to get over. Sure. Because I was like doing all the groundwork here. Mm-hmm. Like, but it got to the stage where like there was real big interest in this. So he made the move to come home and... Yeah, yeah, it's been great. We we have our moments, but we stay in, in our lanes. <laughs> well, Neve Dooley of BSL, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and getting to know more about the company. And uh, yeah, we will keep a close eye on what comes out of BSL. We should say that you're Athlone originally, mm-hmm. but now that you're the, the workplace is in County Offaly and started off with Leash Grain. So you're a proper Midlands firm. <laughs> yeah, we are. Definitely, definitely. Neve, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Go Green. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you have enjoyed our programme this evening. My thanks to Neve Dooley of Biasol and Biasol Food and Food Products, you know, only developed from an idea out of trying to do something to get rid of the boredom during lockdown and now look at them and uh, growing substantially. So I'm very excited to see how they progress and what they do in terms of tackling food waste and really being one of the leading lights here in the Midlands in terms of tackling food waste. And I think that's a staggering figure that Neve mentioned a little bit earlier on this evening. 40% of food that's produced is wasted. 40%. And I know I mentioned it on the show quite frequently and I'm no saint when it comes to this because I think we've all done the big shop with great intentions and then you get to the end of the week and you go oh god yeah forgot to eat that piece of fruit or I forgot to make that dinner that I was planning when I was in the grocery store but you know the Food Safety Authority of Ireland and uh, scientists and economists would tell us that we waste in or around a thousand euro per household each and every year on food waste on food that we've bought and not eaten So, um, yeah, it's great to see a Midlands company trying to tackle that at source. And 
you know, they, uh, Neve tells me that they've got lots of exciting things underway at the moment that they cannot discuss, but they are only delighted with the response that they've gotten so far. So we will keep doing our bit to support them and other like-minded companies right across the region. My thanks as well to Professor John Sweeney. John is an absolute gent and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with him. I am planning on looking at upcycling in next week's um, episode of the show. So stay tuned. Of course, I always want to hear from you. So if you would like to contribute to the show or even if you don't want to speak on air, but there's something you want me to talk about and you know someone who's good at, you know, talking about it, get in contact with me. Let me know. You can send me a message on Twitter. I'm at Ashling O'Rourke or you can go over to midlands103.com. There's a section on the website there for the on-air team. Click on my name and you can send me an email directly. And I do appreciate each and every one of them. I generally follow up with an email or a phone call. And um, frequently those items that get emailed in make it to air. So thank you for everybody who's gotten in touch so far. And please do continue to contact me. If a family member missed this episode going out on FM on Monday nights at 7pm, Don't forget that you can tune in whenever it suits yourself on Google, Apple and indeed Spotify podcast. But for now, that's all we have time for on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. Stay safe, have a great week and I'll be back with you same time next week.